Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, we've got a special guest. We are now comrades in media. We were once rivals. Her name is Devereaux Peters. She's a two-time WNBA champion with the Minnesota Lynx. She is now retired, but you probably remember for her from her days at Notre Dame. She also played internationally in Europe. On this pod, we're going to chop it up with Dev. Darlene, first, do your thing. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Thanks, Darlene. Gosh, I swear, a transition three, it's such a beautiful thing. All right, so today we're going with the W show because the W is near and dear to my heart. And I actually just had the fantastic opportunity to call the game between the Connecticut Sun and the Phoenix Mercury last week. Um, Usually Bruce writes an extraordinary intro, and this one is extraordinary. But I personally remember this chick from our days battling in the Big East. She is a Irish and very proud of that. I always thought she'd talk a little too much trash for me, but it's fine. The Irish were very good. And so we did our thing as Hoyas to try to knock them off. We did get them one time over the course of my career that I'm proud of. Um, But she is also a two-time WNBA champion from playing with the Minnesota Lynx. She is now retired and working on some really dope projects that will highlight the women in the W. As I mentioned, she played at Notre Dame for the legendary coach, Muffet McGraw. She was Big East Defensive Player of the Year in 2012, a problem in the paint. Um, In her final three seasons with the Irish, the team's record was 95 and 18. And people, that is a winning percentage of 84% against the best teams in women's hoops. So it does seem that winning tends to follow this chick. Devereaux Peters is join, joining the show. Dev, thanks for hopping on with us. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled because obviously you've continued to be successful. And folks that follow women's basketball obviously know your name. But we definitely got to jump into beyond the 94 while I've got you on this pod. But before we start, you are relatively new to the retirement side of this thing. Tell me about where you are right now and how we landed there. Um, so I retired in middle of March or so. I was playing in France um, the first couple months of the year. Um, came back from there and had to have a surgery on my knee, which is number 10 total, number eight on my knee. Um, so partially that and partially I was just ready to be done. <laughs> I think I've done what I wanted to do and I was getting to the point where I was tired of playing. So I decided to call it a day. And so here I am. Here you are, sis. Thriving. You're good, though? I'm good. I'm enjoying this retirement life. Working hard. <laughs> now, I've had conversations with different athletes from across different sports. And a lot of people talk about the transition. You move from what has been so closely linked to your identity as a person. And even for me, although I was gung-ho and ready to get into the media thing, I do remember moments of being like, wait, like, I'm not an athlete anymore? What's the transition been like for you? 
honestly, it's been really good. I was actually really lucky that it kind of happened quickly. Um, so outside of starting my production company, I got my real estate license and actually started working with a brokerage within like three weeks of retiring. Um, so everything happened like really quickly for me and I got to right into doing something else. So I'm really lucky to be one of those people that was like working immediately. So I didn't really have a lot of time to think about the fact that I wasn't playing. Um, but honestly, I, I don't miss it. So I don't think I would have been, um, I think it's run its course for me. So I, while there are times where I'm like, wow, this adult life is crazy, Girl, <laughs> you know, wait, as an athlete, we're, we're in a bubble, you know, like uh-huh. we don't live the same life as everybody else. So, you know, just adu- adjusting to adulting has been a lot, but I'm enjoying it. I've been extremely busy um, and just enjoying post-athlete life. Girl, I know that's right. It is, it's super exciting. So then what part of your time, like your life, girl, let's be honest, being an athlete, what's the single thing that you think has translated the most now that you're on the other side? Ooh, um, I honestly, I think a lot of it, especially playing um, at like higher levels, like college and, and pro, you know, like I think the biggest thing for me was like just your drive to get things done. Um, cause in, as an athlete, you know, like, especially in college too, like, you know, you already know we had a crazy schedule, um, and you mm-hmm. just kind of have to figure things out and make it work. Um, it's funny because like, so I, I started with my brokerage firm, um, and the first like week or so that I was with them, um, one of our CEOs of the like company above us, um, basically had a, um, conference where he was speaking. Um, and so I went to the conference and it was about, um, how, you know, like how to manage your time in a way that makes you a successful realtor. Right. And all the stuff that he went through was stuff that we do as athletes. Like matter of fact, like he used, (laughs) he used like Michael Phelps as like one of his like main examples. And it was just like working out and like managing your time efficiently and making sure that you're focused on getting specific things done, uh, making sure you have time to meditate or pray or whatever that you do, like personally, um, setting goals for yourself, all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, like I already do all this. <laughs> like, I didn't need to, I didn't need to spend these three hours here for this. Like, right. we already do all of this stuff. So I think um, a lot of it just translates just from having to like work so hard for something and, and being like driven and motivated on your own to get things done. That's Bible. I agree. I think, <laughs> and maybe, I don't know, you tell me as you've also have dabbled or are dabbling in the media side, and it may be too soon for you. And this may not be your experience because I, I can admit now we are no longer competitors. Your resume is certainly longer and more in depth than mine was as an athlete. But I found to a degree I was frustrated because as athletes, it was very formulaic. It was, mm-hmm. okay, I want to knock down this shot in the, in the game. I'm going to practice this shot and practice, go hard and practice. Game comes, shot arrives, knock it down. And if you don't knock it down, the constructive criticism came quickly and it came honestly. There was no deciphering what that means. At least that was my experience. And so when I moved into the media space, I was so frustrated not to be given straight answers and to feel like the opportunities that I was working toward weren't coming. Like I was doing everything that I was supposed to do, at least from a training standpoint, but it didn't necessarily happen in the same formulaic way that things happened as an athlete. And so that for me was like 
a humongous adjustment because what I realized, and maybe because, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit prideful, but maybe because I had never really spent any significant time on the bench, I then began to understand what it meant to just to continue to work and maybe not necessarily see the fruit of your labor until you just do. Girl, I'm literally there right now. I'm not going <laughs> to okay. okay. Literally, because like exactly what you said. So like, it's funny because, so I'm essentially starting two careers at the same time, right? So I'm doing real estate and then I'm also starting this production company. And in my head, the productions company was going to be the difficult part because you you know how the media side is. And it's, mm-hmm. for one, like getting money for it, um, being able to produce the content you want to produce, put it out where you want to put, like all that stuff. I, I felt like that was going to be difficult. And honestly, that side has been moving along and kind of like handling itself. <laughs> and, right. and the real estate side has been like the really difficult part in like what you said and like working hard and doing all these things and not seeing like, the fruit of your labor and like and like you said like I'm not I'm not used to not winning or not you know being right. successful yeah. at something and so like mentally that's probably been the biggest the the toughest struggle for me is like and I'm competitive so it's like mm-hmm. what am I doing wrong what's not you know like what what do I need to fix and it's like you're doing the right stuff it's just that you know stuff takes time like <laughs> it's not always going to come immediately and sometimes it takes a little bit longer for you to build and grow than what we're used to. Cause we're right. used to like, okay, I have to work on my shot. Okay. I'm going to do this. If I do show many shots and I start to, you know, like work on it and get the form right, then it's going to go in period. That's it. That's all like, and that's the end of it. Right? <laughs> that's not the case in the real world. So yeah, you're spot on. That has probably been like the most difficult adjustment for me um, is just knowing that like learning patience, it's like really key sure. and I'm not patient. <laughs> it's crazy though. And like, cause I feel like in the big picture, when I think of being like six, seven, eight, right. And then you're like 12, 13, you realize, Oh, you can get a scholarship for being good. Like in the grand scheme of things, we were like diligent, patient, like it took time for them to come to fruition. But I think, and maybe it's the instant gratification of like winning a game or even having a great mm-hmm. practice. Like you see yourself hitting milestones. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's different, like, but even then, like, you know, we were, like, successful as kids, too, (laughs) you know what I mean, like, in high school, we were successful, in middle school, we were successful, so, like, just having to go outside of something, and especially into spaces where you're not necessarily comfortable, that you don't really know, um, like, 100%, like, I know if I make a mistake in basketball, I know what I have to fix, you know, for the Mm -hmm. most part, but, you know, like, Mm -hmm. by the time I was in high school, I had an, a general idea of when I wasn't doing something right, what I had to change before the coach even had to tell me, you know, like, right. so it's like leaving and not only like not having that instant gratification, but it also being in an area that you may not necessarily have down completely yet. And you're mm. still learning. I think that's probably one of the biggest things is that like, this is the area I'm not hundred percent comfortable yet. I'm still growing in it. And I don't have that like, you know, in the back of my head where I know exactly what I need to do anyway. And if I keep doing that, it's going to work. Cause I don't know if it's going to work. I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do, but at this point you don't know yet. So yeah, it's definitely difficult. So then what would be, because one of the spaces that I hope to get into as my career progresses, similar to our dear friend, LaChina Robinson would be kind of helping athletes understand that transition because 
our experience can't be just exclusive to us, right? And so yeah. there's got to be more conversations because there are far many there are far more of us that decide to wrap after graduation than go on to compete at the next level. So like what would you say would be the key to help make the transition smoother? Because to a degree, you're going to hit bumps regardless. But like, yeah. what would you suggest? To me, um, looking back now, I wish I would have been more involved in other things earlier. So mm. in college, you know, they have like the career fairs. They have a lot of stuff going on that we can go to and that we can be involved with. But as an athlete, I think we're so caught up in being great at what we're doing. Facts. That you're so focused on it that you're always in the gym. You're always trying to get that done. And that's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but I think trying to put more, put yourself out there more in other areas so that you don't get so caught up. And that's, that's not just even in college. I think it's important in college because especially in college, you have so many resources that I don't think that we tap into um, while we're there um, and meet the people that we need to meet. Like even in, in at Notre Dame, you know, like, we have, you know, the donors and the people that paid for our scholarships. And we had those, um, like, brunches and dinners that we may have to go to to meet those people. Just even, like, making sure that you're talking to those people, because those are the connections that you have later. I think the most important thing that I've learned um, now that I've retired is that everything is about who you know. It's not about mm -hmm. what you know. Because mm -hmm. you cannot know an area or not know a field and get into it and be successful because of the you know the right people. Um, and so I think getting that early on and making sure that your network is large and you're meeting people in, in college and finding out other interests. I think that's really important. And even like in the, in the W level, I, I like really try to talk to a lot of the rookies and the young girls in W like to make sure that they know like the stuff that they should be doing early on, whether it's, you know, like getting a financial advisor and like making sure they know how the W works and how it's different from college and, and what they're, they, they're allowed to do that they may not know, like, if you're injured, you don't always have to use the team doctor. Like you can go see your personal doctor. If you, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like just teaching stuff like that, because I think it's something that we miss a lot from college on um, as far as the learning process. And then a lot of us, as we get older, we look back and we're like, damn, I wish I would have known that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I guess because I had a chance to talk to a couple of like recent graduates and they were saying that they already feel like their plate is so full. So for me, yeah. when I look back at a girl, I was madly in love, like trying to win basketball games. Like I can see in my schedule where I could have been socializing with the general population and meeting so-and-so's daddy that runs X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can see where I could have made time for it. But I just wonder, do the present day collegiate athletes, do they feel, one, do they feel empowered enough and that it's important enough to go and do it? And like, where does it fit in a way that it doesn't become a burden for them? Yeah, and also, like, you have to make the time, too. Like, mm -hmm. I know, like, especially with um, some of my my uh, classmates that I was in school with, like, okay, they may have to miss some, you know, basketball function or something because they went to the career fair because that was important. Right. You know what I mean? Sometimes you have to make that um, decision to be like, look, this is important, too. And, you know, depending on what school you're at, not every coach is going to push that. You know what I mean? Like, not mm -hmm. every coach is going to make it um available to you unfortunately that's unfortunate but you know not everybody you know operates like that where school is more important or just as important as basketball um so you really have to like force yourself to be like look this is important because it does matter later as much as we try to like push it off and be like okay even if you are an athlete we're going to play forever that's not realistic and especially in the Ooh. world now like in the market now overseas market is terrible 
it's trash. It's it's even more unrealistic now than it was when I came out, you know? So like really? you have to prepare for these things. Yeah, the, the overseas market is terrible. Terrible. What do you mean terrible? Like the organizations are terrible, the opportunities aren't there? Opportunities aren't really there because the economy, a lot of the places in Europe, their economy is trash for one. People don't have money um, anymore. Um, and then a lot of players now are going for less money. So then once you go for less money, the team doesn't want to pay more. So the teams that were paying a lot, they're not even paying as much anymore because they got somebody maybe from the WNBA that was cheap. And so now they're like, well, I could get somebody cheap. So why would I pay, you know, what they're actually worth if I got somebody for this much money, you know? So the market is not good. (laughs) It's not good. So please do not bank on (laughs) that being an option. Like you have to prepare to be, you know, a normal person. If it happens for you, cool. But at least have it in the back of your mind that if it doesn't happen, you're ready. Okay, so Deb, let me ask you this then, because I actually was just having this conversation with a colleague of mine who's out at Nike. She was talking about how, particularly in our community, Black communities, and then I don't know if it's worse amongst Black women or men, but like we don't discuss salaries and such. And so there's no way for us to go in and negotiate understanding our power and our worth because everybody's so mum, 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 hush, hush about what they are or aren't getting. So like, is that something that like, women that play overseas will discuss and so that they can kind of set the board? Like, do you guys have a union overseas or what? No, there's no union overseas. That's the other thing. So um, overseas is complicated because it's not like the States. Like, you're not necessarily going to get paid every two weeks. You you know, like, it's not as structured. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of loopholes for teams to get out of stuff um, that may be in your contract. And unless you have a really good agent, sometimes you're going to get screwed. Sometimes you have a really good agent and you're going to get screwed. So um, it's definitely a whole different world. A lot of players don't discuss their salaries unless usually the cases where I've known the people to discuss it is maybe with their friends. But even so, that's not the issue because it's not like a negotiating tactic because Mm -hmm. the problem is like, okay, let's say, let's say just say a player was getting paid like 15,000 a month. Mm-hmm. overseas right and so there are players that are going overseas for like 3500 a month to some mm-hmm. of these teams right and so that used to be like the lower tier players not like w players well the past couple of years some of the younger generation has come up and they have maybe agents that aren't that great and are trying to maintain their relationship with the team so that they can keep sending people there and so you know they'll advise them that like oh yeah you can take this contract for 3500 5000 a month and then they take it and once they take a contract like that it's like a couple W players have taken contracts like that mm-hmm. so you have WNBA players taking contracts like that now you have a, a elite level W player that wants to come and they're like well we just got one for 3500 if you're not taking that we'll just find somebody that'll take it so that's been the issue is that it's like on top of the fact that the economy is bad like if you go to like somewhere like Turkey their economy is trash right now and they just simply don't even have the money. You have a lot of teams that just don't have the money right now. Um, and then if they do, they don't want to pay it. So it's it's just like a complicated situation that I honestly don't know how they're going to dig themselves out of this hole. It's like the elite players are getting paid what they're supposed to get paid because they're, they're never going to come down from their salary. Um, but then the, the, the problem is everybody else. Right. Like, you know, it's like – you're getting these players that are maybe bench WMA players and they're like, okay, well, we'll just take it just to be out there. 
and that's kind of throwing everything else off. Uh, right. So it's it's a tough, it's really tough market right now. Really tough. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, yeah. <laughs> all right. Having said that, it is a, we're going to use it as our segue, maybe not an ideal segue with the, with the positivity that we wanted, but <laughs> let's get into the W as it stands. We are in the second half of the season Post All-Star break, Erica Wheeler had everybody in their tears, in their feelings. And then she followed up that W performance with what was a game-winning basket. Um, and, I, and I believe the Indiana's first uh, game back after the All-Star break. Where we sit right now, Dev, who's your favorite? I, okay. So I picked I picked Vegas at the beginning of the year, so I'm sticking with them. <laughs> I'm going to ride everybody. it out. With, I know. A lot of people <laughs> did. Uh, but, I mean, this is a tough season. Like, the parity this season is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, you lose a game and you could drop a couple places. So, I mean, I'm enjoying it just because it's anybody's game at this point. <laughs> like, from, like, one through about six, everybody's, like, neck and neck. And so right. I'm enjoying it. I'm sticking with Vegas. I'm I'm going to ride it out. I believe in them because, like I said, I'm a competitor. I chose them early. So <laughs> I'm sticking with my team. But – I mean, I've just been enjoying how, like, great it, it's been exciting because, like, anybody could win this right now. You really Absolutely. can't nail it down. It's like, okay, Connecticut was killing, and then they went on, what, a five-game losing streak? Yes, girl, yeah. sure did. And then, like, everybody else was at, back in it at that point. And, like, DC mm-hmm. has games where they're playing amazing, and then they get smacked. You know, like, it's been it's been a crazy season. About I'm, I'm enjoying it. It has been so fun to watch. Now, did you play with Suge in Minnesota, Rogers? I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, I did. So here's my here's my thing on Vegas because I was I'm with you at the beginning of the season. I was like, oh, they loaded, like they are loaded. I well, one, we need Asia to come back. Yeah. Well, some like I feel like their guards can be very streaky. Mm, agreed. Which, like, makes me nervous because whether you're on or not offensively, like, you're going to lock up and defend or not. Because, like, I love K-Mac. The other day picked up, I think she picked up a tech against L.A. And I'm like, where are y'all in terms of, like, being level-headed? You know what I mean? Like, and kind of riding the ebbs and flows of a game. Yeah, and they're kind of young, too. And I think that has to do with it a little bit, too, is that they don't have, like, that. I don't think they have like that presence to like keep them together mm-hmm. in those moments, you know, cause a lot of their leaders are younger. Um, yeah. So I feel that's what makes me nervous. And I don't think they play enough defense for when they're streaky and having those moments where people aren't hitting shots that they're going to be right. able to pull out games. Cause that's when they've been losing, right. When they, they're not shooting well and they can't defend to close out a game, you know, like, and they're not stopping people. Um, so I, that's been the struggle, and I, I feel like, honestly, that's kind of where I don't I, – I feel like that's been the struggle with a few te- – it's, it's just that this season is so funky. Like, okay, you have a team like D.C. where, honestly, they probably should be well above everybody else. Right. But then they have their moments where they're not – you know, like they're just letting anything go. and not, It's like defense, I think, has been, like, so shaky this year that if you're having an off- offensive game – you're probably going to lose because <laughs> like, nobody has been that team that's been like, okay, we're going to lock down. Like, like, you know, Minnesota, when they had their, you know, like big five group, like that 
was the thing that separated them. You know, when when yeah. they had a game that maybe some a couple people were off and they were struggling, they defended. They they were top in in offense, and then they would be top in the league in defense too. So they weren't going to slow down. And I don't think that we have right now those teams really that are like focusing enough on the little stuff to be that consistent defensive presence to separate themselves. I I would agree with you. And I think about like the other night um, when, when what was the Phoenix and Washington set the record for like players that scored over yep. in a game. Like, and it was, it was a great game for offense to your point, but like, which one of y'all going to sit down and lock up? Like, exactly. what is Exactly. And I'm like, for me, you know, I'm a defensive player. So like, to me, that's personal. Like mm-hmm. you letting this many people score and consistently, like you just gonna keep letting them do the same stuff. Like I understand if one or maybe two people get hot, maybe if one person gets hot, it shouldn't be nobody else getting hot, but you got that many players scoring above 20. Like Man. <laughs> who is going to take that, that task to be like, nah, you ain't scoring no more. Yeah, I mean, I, three of them are what six, five, six, seven, or yeah. Dewana, Brittany Griner, and Elena Donaldson. So I mean, they're just problems. But like the rest of them, come on, guys. That's what I'm saying, like, come on. <laughs> no, I feel you hundred percent. Okay, so the Aces were your pick, but if you had to pick your dark horse, would it be the Mystics? I, dark horse, I use with air quotes. They are not a dark horse, but if not the Aces, who are you going with? Yeah, I think I would have to pick the Mystics just because of experience, to be honest. Because Connecticut is playing well, but they've had trouble in the playoffs. And so I'm interested to see what they do this year. Um, but, yeah, I think if, if D.C. wants to do it, like, this is the opportunity because, I mean, we're missing so many players this year. It's really anybody's game. And they have, like, that vet team right now that's been there, done that, and it's been in those situations and so when it comes down to it, I think they could be the ones to close out. So I at first I would agree with you, but the other day I was watching LA with Candace back against Vegas. And I'm like, are we sleeping on the sparks? You know, I I am I'm not gonna say I'm sleeping on the sparks, but I, I just I don't know with them. <laughs> they're <laughs> like to me, they're kind of hit or miss. Like, Candace could have a great day or she could have an attitude and have a terrible day. You never really know what you're going to get. So that's why I'm not as convinced. Um, And when she's not – well, without her, they've kind of had their troubles. But, I mean, I feel like if she has an off game, are they still going to be able to do that and close out? You know, I don't don't see that as much as D.C. Like, with Elena, she's going to close out. You know what I mean? Like, she's – Right. You go, You can count on her. You can count on Tracy Tolliver, mm-hmm. like, to close out some games in this league right now, the way it is right now. I don't yeah. know that I'm completely convinced Candace can do that right now. Okay. No, I mean, That's- she's great, but, I mean, when she has a day where she's she got irritated, <laughs> you know, like, or somebody got in her head early, I don't know that they can be that same team, so. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's legit. That's that's legit. I mean, I just like you said, the parody this year has been crazy. I mean, and I think we're obviously talking about the parody in the W, but even on the women's college basketball scene, and I remember, and you know, girl, because y'all battle with UConn just as much as anybody. But I remember like telling people this, like, this is gonna turn. Like UConn is fantastic, Notre Dame's great, like that we have our pillars of like women's college basketball, 
but just in general, like there is more talent spread across the board. And I think kids are interested in going to programs, especially now with the Instagram social media culture and really yeah. being a part of the fabric of that program and not just like the kid on the end of the bench. Yeah, I think that's like been huge as far as creating parity in, in college. And I think that's it's going to even it's going to be even better, like in the years coming, because people really just want to go and especially with the way people are transferring now. Like, mm-hmm. it's really anything's game. Like, what? <laughs> like, I just saw some chick that had transferred, like, two or three times. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> y'all just be out in anywhere. So, I feel like, I mean, I enjoy that it's created a lot of parity for the game. Because, I I mean, I, I knew it was coming, like you said. We all knew that eventually it was going to be a point where it was going to be some other team. And I, I appreciate that, like, it was multiple. It wasn't like it was just, like, one team came out. It kind of was like, okay, South Carolina came out, Mississippi State came out, Texas A.M. all kind of like came up yep. at the same time, you know, which I, I love because I, I love that, you know, like competition and adding more teams um, to the mix. And, but I think it's only going to get better, to be honest. Like you said, social media plays a big role in that. And people want their time to shine. They don't want to be in somebody's shadow, which is why I think do the we, transfer do we portal is huge. Like, how do you feel about it? Like, just because this is the conversation that I end up having with girls when I'm on the road and, and with coaches, like when we have our little quiet moments, the kids want to be seen and okay. The kids want to be seen as big pieces of the culture. And obviously the social is a piece, but to what degree are they catfishing themselves in terms of actually doing the work? Oh, they're absolutely doing it. <laughs> well, for sure. That's, that's- 110%. Because, you know, it's all about the image. Like, even sometimes if you look at social media and look at some of these videos posted and these workouts they're doing, what is that going to help? What is this workout that you're doing going to do for you on the court? Nothing. Because if you start doing this on the court, I'm just going to look at you like you're stupid. You know, like, so that's, like, the bad side to it. And, like, even with the transfer, I don't think – I think that just shows that people aren't doing their due diligence when they're getting recruited to make sure that this is the right school for them. And I'm not – that's not to say that, you know – they didn't. Sometimes you do, and you just are not enjoying the experience. Like, I always tell the story, like, my first year in Notre Dame, I hated it. I wanted to leave. I think, I don't even think I made it through the, the summer. The first summer I was there, I was like, I'm ready to go. I called my dad, like, I'm out. I, I can't do this. I hate it here. I want to go. And my dad right. was like, no, you made the decision to stay there, go there, so you're going to stay there. And I think right. that's also the issue. A lot of parents aren't having that conversation with their kids. Like, my dad was like, nah, you decided to do this. You did your research. This is what you said you wanted to do, and you stay. So, and it turned out to be the best decision in my life. But I don't think now when kids are making that call to their parents, they're like, oh, no, you need to grind it out and try to figure it out. They're being like, oh, okay, where you want to go? <laughs> like, you know, like, they're not having those same conversations. So, I mean, the whole culture is different. Because, you know, I hear about parents telling coaches they want their kids transfer before the kids. You know, like, it's it's a whole different it's a whole different world now than like when we were coming up. It was, it yeah. was so, cause nobody was transferring at that rate when we were there. Like, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And then if you were the kid that bounced around transfer, like we was all looking at you sideways, like, Oh, all right. Welcome, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's, I think it's also, um, it, it's tough because some, with some of these players, it looks like they're not enjoying their time or maybe they're frustrated with something, but they don't want to work through it. Um, and I think that kind of sets a precedent precedent for like later, like life is not easy <laughs> when you, when you oh. stop playing basketball, it gets even harder. 
And if you don't have that fight in you then to like deal with stuff, because college stuff ain't real. That's, mm-hmm. that's not real stuff yet. You know what I mean? Like, and if you don't even have it then to deal with that, what are you going to do when you get over and you have to deal with like real life issues that you have to grind out and figure out? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you a hundred and ten percent. I think now I don't, I don't want to necessarily knock the rule and I don't know it to a T, so I can't say that, but if you graduated and you want to take advantage of your graduate year or whatever, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking no, about not at all. I hit my first little bit of adversity suddenly the coach don't like me because you don't like your minutes. Like there's far more to it than that. Yeah. I I'm, and then I also just think like it, the art, the work is different. You know, some players don't want to do all that work. And when their coaches are challenging them to, they don't want to do it. It's, it's a lot of different factors. Um, I think it's a lot more than just like, Oh, like I, I tried here and it's not working out. Cause you know, like there's so many stories of players that weren't playing when they got there. Like, whenever we have this conversation, I talk about, like, K-Mac. Mm-hmm. K-Mac, when she got to Notre Dame, was not playing a whole lot. She was behind a lot of people. And a lot of these players that we had at Notre Dame, when I was there, they came behind somebody. So they got there, and we all knew they were great, and they had to wait till maybe their junior year to start showing it because it was people above them that were playing well, and they just kind of grinded it out and waited their turn and then popped up and was like, okay, wait, where did she come from? But we right. already knew. You know what I mean? Like, we saw it in practice. We knew what she but was doing that You guys are one of those pillars of, like, the game. So, Muffet, I feel like Muffet is not going to recruit a kid that's going to end up, well, the maybe I can't say that she can see the future, but I feel like the type of kid that she recruits and attracts is the kid whose parent is more likely to say what your dad said, no? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that's what they try to do, and I think that's why she's been able to make the program consistently good. Um, because you have people that like, like K-Mac, like I said, who people were like, she was on the bench for a while and wasn't really playing a whole lot. And then all of a sudden when people graduated, now she's a junior and killing everybody and everybody like where she come from. And she's been able to consistently do that. But even now it's harder. Like they've had quite a few, they had what, two people transfer this year. Um, Mm -hmm. and in the past couple of years, they had quite a few people transfer. So I think it's just this new generation of, of players. That's, I mean, it's going to be even more difficult because that's just their mindset. Like, if I don't like it, I'm just going to leave. Um, and I think, I think they, people even come into like looking and looking at schools like that. Like I didn't look at a school thinking, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'm a transfer. Yeah. Like I looked at it, like, what am I going to do here? But you know, it's different. This social media, you got kids that's looking at schools just because they sponsored by Jordan or Nike. Like they're not taking into account, like yeah. what's important. <laughs> I mean, to, to it's, it's frustrating to me because I think you're right. You, you look at something that really in the grand scheme of things is going to be minute in terms of your experience. But I also understand that, like, I'm not a kid today. Like, they, you know what I mean? Like, I still mm-hmm. think when we get to the Final Four, when we get to the Sweet 16, we have hella competition across the board. So those kids obviously are doing something right to take their programs to that point. But I can't speak to, like, what it means to be a teammate in 2019 when literally they never put down their phone. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just changed across the board. Yeah, everything is completely oh different. I, <laughs> I always, like, okay, Instagram and Twitter were, like, just coming out when I was in school. Yes, and I didn't wasn't on it, and I thank God every day that I chose not to be on social media because that would have just caused so many problems. You know how I was in college. My mouth, there is no way I could have been on Twitter. Yes, I'm very 
earlier, everybody scratched <laughs> us, and we was always like, oh, here we go with death. <laughs> it would have been a hot mess. I know they would have made me delete it, for sure. The school would have made me delete that, because I would have been a hot mess. But it's a different time now, you know? Like, they have so much access to that. It's like, I, I don't know what I would have been like growing up in that, because I was immature, you know? Like, <laughs> I know oh, yeah. now I couldn't have that. Um, but now, you know, it's just a part of life and it's just a completely different, the whole basketball culture now is completely different now because of that. It's just, I I don't even understand it on that level because I didn't grow up like that, you know? So my thought process and how I look at you is completely different than they do. Girl. Okay. So the team here at Pure Hoops Media, we've got a couple of different, I think we've got, what do we have, Bruce? Five pods? But I know on a bunch of our other shows, we have this conversation with BJ Armstrong, who is a former Bulls player who won with Michael Jordan, all that good stuff. And we talk about how the game now is trickling into the league in terms of development. And that's on the NBA side. As you've watched the WNBA, do you see how the grassroots changes are trickling into what who becomes a WNBA athlete? Ooh. Um, how 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 does is he saying they're changing as far as like so, like, mm-hmm. we talked about a lot how the G League, and Bruce, of course, you can jump in, make sure I got this right. He talks about a lot how guys are coming earlier and have not necessarily developed either their bodies or their skill set enough to compete at the NBA oh, level. Oh, at the high so, level, yeah. So if you get a lot of these, I don't want to call them preemies, but in a sense, like, yeah, will shift a little bit. Absolutely. That's probably one of the first things that I noticed being in the W. So growing up, I was extremely blessed to have amazing coaches from middle school up pretty much that like not only were coaching me, but teaching me the game and like teaching me how to make reads. Like in high school, we had like 30, 40 plays that we were running in high school. So that's how like I developed playing basketball was like learning and learning the game, learning how to read what's going on and how to adjust in the game to what teams are doing. Right. Then I go to college and I'm playing for coach McGraw and she's, we're running Princeton, which is all read. You have mm-hmm. to learn how to play with people and how to cut off people and do this stuff. Um, and then I get to the pro level and I'm just assuming that that's the experience that everybody had because that's what I did throughout, like from the time I started playing up that's how I learned basketball. So I just assumed that that's how everybody played. And then I get to the league and I see players that can't remember plays and can't do basic footwork or don't know, you know what I mean? Like they, and I start to talk to more players and a lot. (laughs) It's crazy because some of these coaches at some of these bigger schools who I'm not going to name are not teaching these players basketball. They're letting them play pickup essentially. Mm. And so it sucks because at the pro level, you can't do that. Like mm-hmm. players are too smart. They're too talented. You can't go out there and just play pickup. You have to have some type of structure. Even if you're a great like one-on-one player or whatever else, you have to be able to have some structure and be able to pick up plays and remember stuff and learn how to do reads. And Like the W is all tendencies. Everybody has a tendency, right? Mm-hmm. So certain players do certain moves almost every time. It's actually like shocking how much players are able to get away with you could tell that people don't do scouting reports or read them because players do the same moves over and over and over again. Right. And you get to that level and nobody's picking up on it. Nobody's catching this stuff. Nobody's like reading or making adjustments. Like I was lucky to go to Minnesota and have coach Reeves who's like 
a genius basketball wise and like it's the same situation like you have players that just don't know any better and it starts early because they're not teaching them they're te- you're teaching them how to do all these these moves and ball handling and this and that and then you get in the game and you can't do that because you do this move that you do and then you go right every single time and it's like even in college you don't pick up on that stuff right in college you can get away with things like that you can get away with like yeah. getting having a slow shot having to run off eight, take 18,000 dribbles before you get your shot off or before you get to the rim. You can't do that in the W. <laughs> and that's why you see so many of these players that were amazing college players and they get to the W and they struggle because it's like these vets that have been playing in this game forever, they know these things already. The coaches don't even have to tell them this. They know. So when you get to the league and they're like, oh, she likes to dribble, um, she needs a left, left-handed dribble to gather and, and for her to get her shot up. Like, she needs that rhythm dribble. So if you just take that off, she can't do anything. And then you take off that left hand, and she can't dribble right, and she turn it off. Like, and they don't process that. And it, it sucks because a lot of these college coaches aren't teaching them early or even giving them footwork. I literally just had a conversation, like, two days ago with someone about how a lot of these players come into the W as post players and do not have a post move, not one. Like, how is that possible? Because you were just tall, and you thought – that you could just shoot over everyone, that that was going to work in a professional league, that it's not <laughs> – it doesn't work like that. You can't just be tall and think you're just going to shoot over everybody anymore. Like, at what point are you going to actually learn how to play the game and play it well so that you can be a good player, well-rounded player, and not just somebody that was like, oh, she was good in college, but then she got here and she couldn't do a drop step, so – Hey, Deb, this is Bruce. Normally, I would have jumped in by now, but you guys are just rolling along. And it's been really fun to just kind of listen to the conversation. But we had um, the Mavericks coach, Rick Carlisle, on with uh, our Mike Wise podcast uh, that, that, that it dropped today. And, you know, Rick was talking about how he feels that gender equality and diversity is really, really super important as far as, you know, NBA coaches are concerned. And he predicted that... Um, Becky Hammond will be an NBA head coach someday, which I thought was very cool. And, you know, certainly, you know, she's somebody who's, who's, you know, started at every level and and worked her way up. But your former college coach, Muffet McGraw, said something a couple months ago that I was curious as to what your reaction would be. She had said, and it's not a direct quote, but I think the gist of it was she um, is only going to hire female coaches. She won't be hiring any male coaches to be on the Notre Dame staff. Now, on the one hand, I totally understand the whole, you know, empowering the women, which is a great thing. But let's say you're a very well-qualified African-American male coach. Is it really fair to treat his application and just kind of, you know, rule him out because he's a guy, even though he may be very well-deserving? I mean, what what are your thoughts about all that? You know, it's funny because... (laughs) That's usually the question that people ask, like, is, is, is it discriminating towards men? But the fact of the matter, that's how a lot of people think in general for women. You know what I mean? Like, you could have the same credentials. And just naturally, even if you're not implicit, like, making that bias, like, you're thinking about doing it, people hire, like she said, people hire who look like them. So in basketball, you have all these athletic directors that are white males. And who do you see run women's basketball? Like, who is at the top, like, usually at the top in the head coaching positions in women's basketball? It's, you, it's not a lot of women. 
And so I don't think that, I don't think there's an issue with that, to be honest, because all this time, that's all they've been hiring is males. <laughs> that's who's, who getting, who are getting these coaching jobs. Um, and I think at this point, like, we have to even the playing field a little bit. We have to go out of our way to hire women because we have all these qualified women that are not getting those same jobs and haven't been. And now you look at women's basketball, and it's all these men in every aspect that you look at from the top down. Um, so, I mean, I don't think that – I don't think it's an issue. I don't think it's discriminatory at all, especially when you have these women that have been passed up um, for opportunities to play or to coach. Um for men in a women's game, which <laughs> doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because you don't see that on the men's side, you know, like they're starting to hire more women now a little bit, but you don't see them all this time. And you can't tell me that women didn't apply or weren't that there weren't women that were qualified for those jobs for all these years. And now they're starting to hire them. But there were women that were qualified before then. So I think, it's just really just a matter of evening the playing field and allowing women those opportunities that they haven't had all these years. You know what, Deb? I think, one, I think that's a fantastic answer. I personally have mixed emotions, but I understood Muffet's intent. And I think if she's in a position to do that, that's cool. Because, girl, if I was running the staff, it definitely would resemble me. And I'm, like, not even yeah. going front about that. But I, at least for me... And tell me if this has been your experience. I have found that I've had to even wake myself up, I guess, to some of this. Because I think for us, coming from the sports world and, like, always playing against guys, being around guys, and, like, the sports in general does seem to be a male-dominated industry, there were some things that we are now beginning to point out that even for me, I never really thought of as a problem. You know what I mean? Like, I love that the NBA is hiring female coaches, but in my head, it was also just basketball and the numbers kind of indicate that there are more men and I'm playing and I'm happy. And so whatever, you know what I mean? So I even find myself now being like, wait, we should look at this differently as opposed to like, Oh, I'm just one of the girls in the locker room with the guys. And like, they say whatever. And maybe, no, maybe it shouldn't be that way. Maybe I should demand that there's a little bit more respect for my presence. It's like weird for me when we have some of these conversations. Yeah. I think that that's the problem is that we look at it like that, but there's like that, inherent bias like I'm sure that okay let's just say up until this point right let's just say that every applicant that applied you didn't do you didn't know whether they were male or female um you didn't do like person like you didn't have any type of person to person communication as far as like interviews and stuff to to be able to differentiate right if there were a process to go through that the hiring process Honestly, if you could look at any industry, if you went through the hiring process and you all you could see was their what they brought to the table, right, and what their experiences were, um, and you didn't know whether they were a man or woman or black or white until they were hired, you know, all of all the industries would look completely different, completely yeah. different, That's because actually, people just have yeah. that inherent bias, you know, even if they're not trying to, it's there. And so I think that's like the issue is that we are so comfortable in those spaces without even realizing it. And they are too. And that's why they continue to hire the same people Mm -hmm. over and over and over again and not go outside of that and hire people that are also qualified that are women or that are black Mm -hmm. or that are, you know, like 
we don't even notice it. That's how bad it is. Yeah, no, <laughs> is you're, that you're, we don't you're notice it. Right. You're absolutely right. I remember being at CAA Media Day and coach, I think Charlotte Smith, well, she, I don't know if she was at Elon or Rhode Island then, but I remember saying like, oh, are you the SID? Like myself to another black woman. And she was like, no, I'm the head coach. And I was like, in the moment embarrassed, but also elated because you're right. Like I have been in this world and I'm just accustomed not to seeing black women as head coaches. Like you're so right about that. Yeah. And I think we just have to train ourselves out of that and be like, look, we're supposed to be in these spaces and we have to like stop thinking that this is just normal. You know, like we have to start pushing those boundaries and looking outside of what has been the normal and create something new. Girl, you gotta come through with some with some Bible. You know, <laughs> Irish, but I'm feeling this conversation. But speaking of that, in terms of pushing and not accepting what is normal, I know that that is something that you hold near and dear to your heart. And it's part of the reason why you are venturing into the endeavor with more than 94. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Um, so I'm like really excited about more than 94. But basically, like the whole, it's crazy that you brought, this is how we transition, right? Because the whole process for this, my production company started with when I wrote the op-ed in the Washington Post about men challenge me to one-on-one. And so after I wrote that, the outpouring from women afterward and the response was crazy. Like all these people reached out to me and messaged me saying that they had similar experiences in all these different businesses and all these different industries that weren't sport. It didn't matter if they were an engineer, if they were in like literally any profession you could think of. People were like, oh my God, I had the same experience. My boss thinks I'm this, this, and this, and I did this and like telling me their stories, right? And, and so I'm like reading all this stuff and taking it in. And I'm like, this is crazy because as women, we're essentially all living the same experience in different areas. Right. And so we all have this connection and I'm just talking about my experience playing basketball, which, you know, it's, it's a very, like, I'm, I'm in a small group of people that be are able to play at this level. And the fact that so many people are able to identify with this, I'm like, we can be reaching all these people if we make these connections, you know, like it doesn't have to be somebody that's interested in basketball. They could be interested in something else and ha just have like this connection that, oh my God, I had a similar situation happen to me. I want to reach out to her. I want to follow her. I want to make see what she's doing now. And so when I came up with the idea with this, after that, I was kind of like, man, it's like all these people we could be tapping into to bring to like watch games or, or even just follow our league that may not necessarily be basketball fans. And we're not touching that. And so when you look at the league, the WNBA, we have like one of the most in, in educated leagues there is because of how you have to, where you have to be, what do you have to be like 22 by your end of your junior year or something like that to be able to leave early. But pretty much mm -hmm. everybody else stays and gets their degree. So we have all these super educated women. And then you have, the W we're in a unique position because the W is not our main source of income. So you have all these players that are own businesses. They start foundations. They do all of these things. They're in the community. So even like in their community work, they're extremely hands-on and involved because we're not just giving a paycheck necessarily, you know, like we're not making the money that the NBA does. So, you know, in some situations where they may just put their name on something and write a check, which is also great, 
but we have to be more involved because we're not writing as big a check if we're writing a check, you know? So we're a lot more hands-on everything that we do. And I'm like, looking at ESPN, you know what LeBron ate for breakfast. You know where Kawhi went on vacation. You know what Westbrook did during the weekend. You know what I mean? Like, you know everything about these people, like, from basketball to off the court. And I'm like, man, we have all these diverse women and, like, educated women that are doing all these things, and you never hear about it. Like, you literally never hear anything about it. Why aren't we tapping into this? So I got to talking to more people and initially started off as, like, you know, I just want to do a series about players and some of the stuff that they do off the court. And the more I talk to people, they're like, yeah, you could do that, but you're just going to spend a lot of money and not really see any of that back. Um, and so it eventually turned into my production company, Devro Productions, and then starting, you know, more than 94 as like this platform to really like tell our stories and be able to get the coverage that we deserve to get. Because, I mean, as much as you want to say, everybody wants to say, you know, like the WNBA is pop- isn't popular. I mean, a big part of that is because we're not marketed. People don't know when our season is. They don't know, like, where the games are, what cities we play in. I know people that don't even know the WNBA exists in 2019. I've met people that I told I played in the WNBA, and they didn't even know it was a league. How can you say we're not popular when people don't know about us? Um, right. So I think our my main goal was just to create that awareness and really push stories that um, not only get to know the players, but also, like, create connections to other areas um to draw more people in oh girl i love it i love it i think that's and that's so powerful that literally this idea of let me play you one-on-one is not just about sports (laughs) to show up and people for whatever reason won't give women the benefit of the doubt so i am a huge fan of more than 94 i love what you are doing. And I think your transition has been beautiful and I can see where it's going to be so powerful. And as much as we sort of not social as far as undergraduate kids are concerned and maybe their focus not being in the right place, I think it is a beautiful time, to your point, to take the marketing of the W up to the next level via social. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think I saw some stats like the other day, uh, a couple of days ago, that were saying that like, you've grown like 79% or something like that as far as like viewers and people like interacting with our social because of the very little bit of bump in social media marketing we've done. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we just gave a little bit more access and we grew like 79% or some crazy number. I think it went from like 150,000 or something like to like 450,000. I'm like, you haven't even really done that much. Right. So, like, just imagine what that means for if you actually put in some real effort into the marketing strategy and putting us out there and putting us on TV. Like, those create ratings. Those create people watching because it's access. There's access to it. Fantastic. Girl, good stuff. Okay. I have loved this conversation. And maybe as we get closer to the playoffs, rolling into the finals, we'll have you on for a revisit. But for the sake of this episode of Buckets, Boards, and Blocks, it's now time for our signature ending. So we'll allow you to keep the topic in the overall umbrella of women's hoops, whether it's the WNBA um, or the collegiate side. But I just need you to pick one and then I'll explain it to you afterward. A bucket, a board, or a block. Just pick one. Oh, you know I'm going with a block. <laughs> okay, so in in the vein of our overall conversation on women's hoops, Give me something happening in 2019, this particular season, 
that you consider to be a block and you would like to say, get this thing out of here. I don't want no more of that moving forward. Go I'm going to go with blocking the NBA hating on our brand and not pushing us the way that they need to. Ooh, tell them That's you what I'm going to go with. Yeah, because I feel like they are a major part of the reason that we are held back. Um, and like they they just look at us as, they don't look at us as, a, as an investment or their subsidiary. They kind of look at us as like a hindrance maybe. Because even wow. if you look at like the G League, they they what did they change wherever so the players are getting paid like they have players getting paid more than us right yeah. there's like they changed their salary whatever structure and i'm like really the g league <laughs> but you know like stuff like that or even when like we have this whole conversation granted we're in caba negotiations but when we have the whole conversation about um salary amongst like the CBA conversation and they tweeted that random statistic about players it wasn't even salaries I can't even remember what it was like overall money that they may get or something in a season from like the NBA PR Twitter they just I I don't understand why they're like this but that that we gotta block that because I don't know what the problem is but they need to get on board because we about to take off blocking blocking all the hating (laughs) Especially from your supposed big brother, you're blocked. Right. <laughs> All right, Deb. Well, thank you so much. Where can folks check out um, Beyond the 94, the project, and then where your work for the production company in general? Um, so as of now, all of it will be on YouTube. I produce um, a weekly interview series that comes out every Thursday. YouTube, More Than 94, it'll be up there. Um, same thing uh, for social, social media, more than 94 underscore, I believe. And then, um, yeah, check it out. We need viewers so we can build it. Um, and I'm talking to some investors, so we need more viewers so I can get them on board. So folks, watch, share it, everything. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, Deb, thank you so much, my friend. This was fantastic. We'll definitely have to get you back on as we get close to finals and see if we're right on either the Aces or the Mystics. Yes, for sure. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. All right, time for my BBB this week. This week, I'm going to go with a board. Surprise, surprise. And let's stick with the W. I think folks that have followed women's basketball obviously know the name Diana Taurasi. You probably know the name Brittany Griner. Um, last week in a game against the Sun, she only played in the first half. But my board is going to be for the Phoenix Mercury and Coach Sandy Brondello, who is fantastic. I met her for the first time, to get healthy. Dewana Bonner and Brittany Griner are one and two in the W in terms of scoring. But Diana Taurasi back on that Mercury squad? Man, Essence Carson is also injured. So just wishing the Mercury a speedy recovery as we make this final push to the playoffs. You heard Dev and I mention the Los Angeles Sparks getting Candace Parker back healthy. And although we're all loving the parity across the league, the injured stars thing has been a thing. So the players that are slated to get back in this season, like DT, let's let it be a board that their teams have grown in their absence. But as we push toward the playoffs and the finals, if you're going to be on the floor this season, I hope that those players are able to make a full recovery and help their teams have the best shot of chasing down a title. Thanks again to Dev, P, 
Peters for spending some quality time with us. Make sure you check out More Than 94 and the fantastic work that she's doing. Thanks also to my producer and loyal sidekick and my friend who I got to see last week in Connecticut, Bruce Bernstein, and our awesome editor slash booker slash idea man, Ben Wolfen. Please check out our other shows from Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show has Mavericks head coach Rick Carlisle this week. You want to listen to that conversation. Rick had some great things to say about the future of female coaches in the NBA. Hey! Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov drop each Wednesday. And the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman is here every Friday. We'll be back next Thursday with buckets, boards, and blocks. But until then, enjoy your hoops. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. 